0: Guys, okay, you got a Bible? We're going to just turn to Matthew chapter sixteen. This whole weekender is based on the next book in our little series of first step books, and that were release of nine marks. This one is on church. Do I have to go? So, and today we're going to be thinking about how it's churches that will let the schemes of Glasgow and beyond flourish. And then tomorrow we're working through why our communities need these churches and how we can be the churches our communities need. So that's where we're going for the next day or so. But we all have the most amazing privilege tonight, don't we? To gather and worship in the best city in Scotland. If you're from Edinburgh... This is the closest to heaven you're ever going to get, (laughs) this side of eternity. Glasgow is the city that is miles better. It's the city of the Clyde, of shipbuilding, of industry, the city of culture, the city of sport, the city of tenants, not people who live in your flat, but the beer. It's the city of Jack and Victor and Isa or Rab C., And if you have no idea who they are, maybe you'll more know what's associated with Alistair Begg or Sigler Ferguson. Or John Harper, who was the first pastor of this church before he went to preach in the Titanic. If Edinburgh is a whitewashed tomb, people make Glasgow, right? (laughs) And yet Glasgow is also notorious. Notorious for danger. It was the knife crime capital of Europe, it has been deemed no mean city because of the razor gangs that were here. It's also a city infamous for drugs. It kind of trades the claim of the most drug deaths with Dundee every year. Dundee is pretty much Glasgow without anything, if it's good. (laughs) And it's also a city notorious for death. There's been a study, which has been called the Glasgow Effect, which is looking at how people in the poorest communities of Glasgow seem to die younger than in comparable communities all across the UK, and most of that is focused on our housing schemes. And yet the biggest problem with Glasgow is decline. The motto of our city used to be, let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name. Glasgow had a great gospel heritage, but now that slogan has been shortened to just let Glasgow flourish. And yet we here tonight know that Glasgow will never flourish without the preaching of his word and the praising of his name. A study done by this church, people in this church 10 years ago, found that less than 2% of the people of Glasgow would attend gospel-preaching churches. And the least likely place to find a healthy gospel-preaching church was in a housing scheme, of which Glasgow is 97 alone, never mind the hundreds more in the west of Scotland. And so Glasgow's a great place, and yet it's a place of a great need. And although I'm talking a lot about Glasgow, we know this story is repeated all throughout our land, right? No matter where we are, we see something of this devastation. We see that our schemes are not flourishing. And so what we want to ask ourselves tonight here as we gather as Christians is, how should we respond to that? As we see the kind of landscape of our land, we see the spiritual need in some of our poorest communities. How should we as Christians respond? Or maybe even a better question is how does Jesus respond to that? And so I want us to read in Matthew 16 just one short verse. This is in a passage where people were confused about who Jesus was We have Peter, who I love because he keeps putting his foot in his mouth and he's got a good name. And he says clearly for the first time in the gospel, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus responds to him with a phrase, which if you're a church planter, I'm sure you know. Matthew chapter 16. I'm gonna read the second half of verse 18 where he says, well, let's read the full verse. I also, I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Maybe your translation says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here's my point tonight. That it's local gospel churches that will let the schemes of Glasgow and beyond flourish again. It's local gospel churches that will let the schemes of Glasgow and beyond flourish again. And so from this one verse, I want us to focus on three things. First, the church is God's plan. Second, the church is God's weapon. And third, the church is God's responsibility. And so again, let's pray together to our Lord and ask him to speak to us now by his spirit through his word. Father, again, as we come before you, we think of the need in our land, we think of the need in our poorest communities, Lord, and left to ourselves, we'd have no clue what to do. And yet, Lord, we're thankful that you call us to yourself. We're thankful that you give us the task to do. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would speak to us now through your word. Show us how we should respond to this desperate need around us, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, so the first thing we want us to see here is that it's the church that is God's plan. Jesus says very plainly, he will build his church. The word church, like ecclesia, is the word for gathering. It's a normal word for people who would gather together. This is the first time in the Gospels it was used in the way we would call church. And yet it would be developed through Scripture as the name of God's people, in these places that we gather together around the gospel to proclaim the gospel. And Jesus says he will build his church. Nothing more than that and nothing less than that. And if we surveyed our housing schemes, what is to ask this evening, what ministry would we see happening there? As we think maybe of people we know that live in some of our hardest places, what type of ministry are they likely to come across what type of ministry are they connected to and I think if we're honest we'd find a lot of what we might call parachurch we'd find great youth projects we'd find job clubs food banks recovery projects we'd find community work we'd find family work many of these people Christians working together to do good things a lot of these projects parachurches pointed people to Jesus and yet most of them overworked and underfunded. And yet the question I want us to ask is, is that God's plan? Are parachurches, so projects that are deliberately not local churches, is that God's plan for the lost of our cities and our schemes to flourish, to grow to know Jesus and to make him known? Ten years ago, Mez wrote a blog, which turned into a chapter, which caused a lot of offence, which I know is the same as saying today is Friday. That's not a surprise to any of us. But the point was that as we read the Bible, actually, we believe it's the local church that our housing schemes need the most, because we believe it's God's plan for our schemes to flourish in Christ. Now, the argument against this today, isn't it, is that Jesus is talking about his universal church. So we're all God's people, part of that big church. And so what Jesus is building here is his universal church. He wants Christians any way they can in all the places they're needed to live for Jesus and to share the good news of Jesus. And so local churches are part of that, but they're not the only part of that. And actually, in our culture, often the parachurch is more effective Because churches come with a lot of baggage, don't they? Churches maybe can slow down the work of Jesus. Churches have been the home to a lot of abuse. And honestly, sometimes that's true. Sometimes churches do come with a lot of baggage. Often churches can slow down the work of Jesus. And unfortunately, church has been a place where people have suffered horrendous abuse. And that is not God's plan. Some of us are hurting from that, maybe even this evening. And yet the key point as we ask this question still has to be, but what is God's plan? What is God's plan to let our schemes flourish? And as we read the New Testament, especially Acts and the epistles, we see exactly zero mission, which is not ultimately rooted in or accountable to the local church. Indeed, as we read the New Testament, we see exactly zero Christians who are not meant to be committed members, if you like, of local churches. Like, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, Pete, have you not read that bit about the Ethiopian? Because that's the card we're going to bring out, and that proves that it's not all about the local church. And yet, I think if we read the flow of Acts, I think we need to understand, even when Jesus, when Philip meets This Ethiopian eunuch in the middle of nowhere that were to see a missionary sent from Hope Community Church Jerusalem, seeing him share the gospel with somebody in the middle of nowhere and then send him to plant Hope Community Church Ethiopia or if he likes Philip Memorial Church in Ethiopia, that would be good too, right? All of this is still rooted and flowing from the local church. and We often say at our church, The Christian life, therefore, is meant to be the local church life. Christian life is the local church life. And if we think about it, local churches are remarkable places. The things that we see, the things that happen in local churches, you wouldn't see together in Rum room anywhere else. It's like part of hospital, it's like part of school. There's like the work you might see at a community center or a support group, but it's all this one big family where you've got people that would never be in the same room together, committing together and loving Jesus and loving each other. You've got young people and old people and everybody in between. You've got rich people and poor people. You've even got the weird uncles and the kind of freaky cousins over in the corner, right? And they're all one together, loving Jesus and living for Jesus. And so as we see this, I think it's fair to say that the local church is not God's primary mission, In fact, if we see the New Testament that way, it's his only mission. As we look at the wider context of Matthew 16, we would read about the keys of the kingdom, the authority to work in Jesus. And he gives that first to the apostles, but then, as we work through the New Testament, to the local church. That's why, as Paul is going on these missionary journeys, he's always circling back to install elders and constitute churches. see that in Acts 14, for example. For Christians are designed to flourish, committed to fellow Christians, and submitted to godly elders gathered at a local church. And unbelievers are meant to be reached by local churches who scatter into the communities and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it helps to think about it this way. If you think about a map of Scotland, right? If you zoom out of the map of Scotland, you've got a little dot where all the people there, all you would see is a map with loads of dots on it, okay? That is the people, that's the people of Scotland. But as you zoom into that map, you would see that there wouldn't be one person, one dot all over Scotland that wasn't in a region of Scotland, right? They'd all be in Glasgow or Dunbartonshire somewhere over kind of Fife Way, so they wouldn't want to be there, but they are. And everybody... And the whole of Scotland is in some region when you zoom in close enough. And if you think about the universal church, when we zoom out and we see God's people all over the world, we see God's people spread over every country, every people group. But when we zoom into that map, God's plan is for every one of his people to be covered within the boundaries of a local gospel church. For we're not designed to flourish as homeless Lone Ranger, do it yourself, even parachurch Christians. We're designed to flourish as local church Christians. And historically, this hasn't been controversial. It's only in recent years that we have severed the local from the universal. But the universal church was never meant to be seen apart from the local church. God's plan in his world is for communities to be covered not just by Christians. But by local churches. That's how he builds his church. Now, if you'll give me that, I'm sure there's a lot of people who want to disagree, and we can fight about that afterwards. I mean, I'm sure I'll let you win, but anyway. If you give me that, let me share some implications of that for us. That means that God doesn't promise to build any denomination or network or parachurch organization, but he does promise to build local churches. Now, hear this right. It's not that these other groups and organizations aren't important. It's not that they don't do great work. We work with many parachurch organizations in our city. Many of there's many organizations in our city that are doing work that we, the local church, can't do and we are really thankful for. But they are meant to be supports to the mission and not the mission itself, right? One of my friends, Terry, who runs what I've heard is the best parachurch organization in Glasgow called Hope for Glasgow, um, would say, hey, somebody said, "Way, hey, that's good, hey. Um, I've heard him say before, and I'm glad he's not here because I'm going to quote him. And if he got him wrong, he'd take me around the back afterwards and give me a doing. So he's not here, which is good. He would say that we, Hope for Glasgow, the parachurch, do whatever we can do to help the local church do what only they can do. I love that, right? That's how we work together because Christians as Christians should be involved in any number of good things that we can do. And the role of of parachurches is to do whatever they can do, we can do to help the local church do what only the local church should do. And that's why all of what we have to do with 20 Schemes, all of our ministries, 20 Schemes Music, 20 Schemes Women, our ragged school, our kind of like directors going about in Teslas, all of that is for the purpose of the local churches that we support, right? For God's plan to reach the unreached is the planting and revitalizing of local churches. Mez was saying to the guys earlier, the best mercy ministry for our communities is a healthy gospel church. If we want the light to shine again in the darkest places of Glasgow and the West or Edinburgh or beyond, we need to be doing whatever it takes to get the local church gospel light to shine brightly. Other things are helpful, but the local church is necessary. For the church is God's plan. Second thing I'll see in these verses though, the church is not just God's plan, the church is God's weapon. What happens when Jesus builds his church? Our translation says, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The key question we ask, what are these gates of Hades? ESV. Chris is probably the KJV somewhere. Where are you, Chris? There you go. Excellent. Just Chris. Gates of Hades, gates of hell. What is that? The word Hades is a translation from the Old Testament. It's a place, place of the dead in the scripture. It's a picture of the power of death. And actually, as I've been thinking about that, I think that's a really stark and yet vivid image for what we see in our communities, isn't it? The world, in contrast to the church who are alive in Christ, the world is where sin and death reigns. People, apart from Jesus, are like walking corpses, like zombies. We think we're alive. We're searching for joy. But we're trapped in death, and so we'll never find it. And that rings true, doesn't it, when we think of our city and our schemes. There the powers of sin and death seem to reign. People are looking for life in a bottle or a pill or a needle. But when it's done and they're empty, all that's left is the stench of death. People living under clouds of fear. Because of the haunting reality of of non-ending aggression or the fear of abuse or the worry of abandonment. And it all just smells of death. People can't escape even the overwhelming stress of soon impending death. And then that leads to a life which has no hope. And then the light that's promised by dead religion, by superstitious spirituality, by satanic ritual, all of that. Just creates a black hole full of despair and death. Is that not an accurate description of Berlanark or On Onthank, Govan, Grace Mount, Merkinch, even Knightswood and Mogai? And you'd be forgiven in the 21st century Scotland to think that Hades or Hell or Satan or Sin or Death, you'd be forgiven to think that they're winning. At times, it can look and feel like that, can't it? You see the devastation around us. You see the mess and the brokenness that we see every day of our life when we look inside ourselves and see often as much of that mess that is out there as also in here. You'd be forgiven for thinking that it's winning. And that's where a right understanding of what Jesus is saying here is so important. Because Jesus is not saying that hell is on the attack and so we need to hunker down. But I read it like that for years. I imagine that the church was like those Romans that kind of create a hedgehog, you've seen that, with the spears, and then they're kind of all together spearing out, and then no one's going to get in because we've got a Roman hedgehog, that's great. The church is not meant to be like that. The church is not meant to be like a kid cowering in the corner, worried of what's going to happen. Because gates aren't attacking weapons, are they? That like you don't have warlords in dens or maybe kind of kids on Call of Duty, like pick up the gates and be like, oh man, I'm going to get you, you bam, check out my gate. Like you don't have people walking about chipping folk with gates in Glasgow. Actually, you probably do. That's a bad assumption. <laughs> but gates aren't defensive. Gates are not offensive weapons. They're defensive weapons. Gates are meant to stop the opposition raiding them. And so the picture here is important, right? Christ's church is his weapon. Christ Church is meant to raid the place of death, and therefore, Christ Church will overcome it. So, where we see the evidence of death at work, we should long to see the evidence of the church at work. Where death seems to be winning in our communities, in our schemes, we need local churches that are going to proclaim Christ has already won where people are stuck in cycles of addiction or anger or abuse. We need churches offering the freedom and the life that only comes in Christ. And that's why we need gospel preaching churches. That's why we need the gospel to be right up front and center, isn't it? Because it's the gospel that's on the offense. It's the gospel that should cause the offense, not us. I know I get that wrong at times. But if the biggest problem in our communities is not addiction or stress or violence or poverty or homelessness, if the biggest problem is sin, then it's the gospel that's the answer. And it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that pierces the heart of sin and of death. The gospel is the sharp end, if you like, of that spear. There are many things that can help people here and now in our communities, but there's only one thing that can give lasting hope. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And where the sting of death seems to reign, Jesus is building his church. For it is his weapon to defeat death and bring life forget about the Glasgow effect that's the gospel effect and so what does that mean for us as we ask the Lord again to let the schemes of Glasgow and beyond flourish well it means we're not meant to be on a defensive hiding in church buildings hoping to escape hell I can feel like that's what we're doing sometimes can't it the question is not so much is the world getting into us although that is an important question we should ask But the question is more, are we getting out into the world? The call we're going to hear tomorrow is for us to go and make disciples. In the language of Matthew 16, it's to use the keys of the kingdom to welcome people. And it means we should be out there behind the gates of hell in enemy territory, planting and revitalizing churches. For as we zoom in in that map of Scotland, if this verse is true, then everywhere we see a gate of hell, we should long to see an advancing gospel church. Because the gospel church is not just God's plan, but it's his weapon to defeat the powers of sin and death. But we also need to see here, therefore, that the church is God's responsibility. Because as we see what we're doing as we know why we're doing it, if you're like me, actually that can leave us feeling a bit overwhelmed and discouraged for the task we have. Because the task is massive. There's no way we're going to do that. Uh, maybe you're here, I know many of us are here, and we're, we're giving ourselves to this. Uh, and we, we know we get this, and we're, and we're trying to live that out. But we're run down. And we're weary. Because there's just so much to do, and that's just our community, and we see the communities all around right about us. There's so much to do, right? If less than two percent of Glasgow attend gospel preaching churches, if the schemes are some of the darkest places in our lands, then how on earth are we gonna make a dent in that? Now that's what you're feeling. In many ways, that's the right thing to be feeling. That's why we need this third reminder. It's not just God's plan, it's not just his weapon but it's also his responsibility. So Jesus says, I will build my church. Two emphases to note there. First, he says, the church is his church, which means the universal church belongs to him. We are his. And because they're intrinsically linked, that means every true local church is Christ's church. We often say that we, my church, or come to our church, or maybe you think of a 20 Schemes church or an FIC church or a free church. And, and that could be fair, right? That can help us identify things and, and kind of think through what's going on. But let's not let that confuse us from what's really going on. Every true church is not our church. It's his church. Jesus is the authority in it. Jesus is the head of it. That means it's his word that matters. That's why we preach the Bible and don't give our own thoughts. And it's his blueprint that should be followed. That's why we constitute churches and work to be churches that the word calls us to be, not that we just think that might work. Jesus says the church is his church, but also note that he says, therefore, that he is the one responsible for building his church. That means ultimately, building of his church the success of his mission relies not on us but on him and that's good news isn't it when we see the need and then we look at ourselves and we get overwhelmed it's freeing to know that it's his responsibility not ours now that might destroy us if we're proud but if we're weary it soothes our soul and it'll let us sleep at night won't it the success of Christ's church depends not on us, but on him. Now, we're responsible. We're responsible to be obedient. We're responsible to be faithful, but we're not responsible to smash down the gates of hell. We are responsible to preach the gospel, but only God can save sinners. In fact, he says that even in this passage in verse 17. Only God revealed that to you, Peter, because the Lord is the one who brings life where all we see is death. God's sovereign. God's in control. It's his church. And yet that theology of his sovereignty isn't therefore meant to free us up to do nothing. Some of you may be thinking that. You're like, high five. I'm going to put my feet up. Watch more Netflix. This is a good sermon to listen to. That's not the point, right? God's sovereignty is not meant to free us up to do nothing. It's meant to free us up to do everything that we can do to help build his church knowing that it doesn't rely on us, but that it relies on him. So we plant, others might water, but God gives the growth. For Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, his laborers labor in vain. It's his responsibility. And to prove it, what did he do? And to prove that it's all on him and not on us. What did Jesus do to build his church? Well, he willingly gave up his own life for his church. On the cross, he tasted defeat so his church could taste victory. Jesus took on the curse of death so we, his people, his church, could know the blessing of eternal life. Jesus raided hell to free us. And the gates of Hades could not hold him. Because he smashed them down. He rolled the stone back. And he walked straight back out of death. And he lives. And so he will not be defeated. You see, the success of Christ's church was bought at a staggering price. And yet, his resurrection guarantees that it will be a glorious success. Now, it might not feel like that in the moment. When we go back to our churches, to our communities, it might not feel like a success. It might not be going the way we have planned it. We might feel like we are feelers. This is not working. We might just see death. We might just feel the heat of the battle. But though the devil is throwing punches, soon his head is going to hit that canvas. And no power of hell or no scheme of man will ever pluck us from his hand. Local gospel churches like the schemes of Glasgow and beyond flourish again because Christ has already run. The church is God's plan, the church is God's weapon and the church is God's responsibility. And so if this is true, Right, if Matthew sixteen eighteen is true, then that means that we don't need wonder men and wonder women, we need willing men and willing women. I like that, by the way, it was good, didn't it? I'll say that again. We don't need wonder men and wonder women, we need willing men and willing women. For the gates of hell are not going to be defeated by tattoo-covered, gym-addicted, alpha male church planters, you know, riding in to see the day. I'm sorry, Gerald, if you're here, I didn't mean to say that. And yet that's the picture we give, isn't it? As you read church planting materials, you see, you know, what church planters are all about. That's what we think. I need to be like that. I need to be them. That is what's going to be the the, the gates of hell. And if you're like me, it makes you feel inadequate. Because I'm not like that. I mean, I've got a few tattoos. I'm a bit cool. But I'm not like that, right? Certainly don't take steroids. Anyway, could you focus? (laughs) See, we are weak Awkward, struggling, sinful planters and interns and women's workers and members. Right? We're way more Pete Stewart than Andy Prime. We're failures. Amen. I mean, that's the first time I'm in tonight, I like it. No, oh, okay, that's right. <laughs> And then when we see the need in our cities and schemes and towns and villages, that we can't help but think, but God couldn't use me for that. Or we see the need and we see how much ministry there would cost. We're like, no way could we afford that. That is never going to happen. But if it's all about Jesus and not about me, if it's his responsibility and not ours, then he's got it. It's his mission. It's his Church, and then that frees us. Therefore, all we need to do is have faith and be willing. Willing to, in verse 24 of this chapter, deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow after Jesus. Willing to give ourselves to reach the last and the least and the lost. Willing to move across the world or across our city. Willing to play our role, whatever that is, to build Christ's church wherever he is building it. Willing to work so Jesus will be worshipped. So the question we ask ourselves right after this is, are we? Are we willing? Maybe we've been working in a community for years we need to still ask ourselves are we willing is this what I'm giving my life to am I going to follow after Christ like this are we willing to give up our nice safe lives to go all in for the glory of Jesus that's why I love that C.T. Stud quote it was it that some like to live within sound of church or chapel bell I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell that's the call right don't be superman be a willing man are we As we hear the Lord speak through his word and call us, are we willing to be the church he calls us to be? For God still uses jars of clay to shine his glorious light. Our failures are not God's failures. Christ's victory means his church will be the success. And if that's true for us as individuals, that's also true for our churches. And we don't need fancy, full, flush, flying churches. We need faithful churches. Faithful to be Christ's weapon to smash down the gates of hell. Faithful to learn from others and to grow together. Faithful to give our best because the need requires it. Faithful to sacrifice now for the sake of eternity. Faithful to have the heart of Christ and so take the news of Christ, the people who have it least and so need it most. Local gospel churches will let the schemes of Glasgow and beyond flourish again. For the church is God's plan, the church is God's weapon, and the church is God's responsibility. That's true in Glasgow in the West, that's true in Edinburgh, Dundee, Inverness, and wherever we are. So praise the Lord, there is hope where all we feel is despair. Praise the Lord that hell has defeated because heaven is won. Praise the Lord for the gospel. Praise the Lord for Jesus. And so may his church arise again to bring the light of the gospel to Scotland's schemes. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we pray that you would melt our hearts with the goodness of Jesus in the gospel to see what wretches we are and to see the grace and love you've poured upon us. And Lord, as you do that, may you give us eyes to see the need around us as you see it? And Lord, as we see that need, may we remember that you work through your church to bring your gospel to the lost. Lord, help us to be the church that you call us to be. And Lord, even today, tonight in this room, would you help us commit afresh, commit again to give all we are as we watch and pray and see you build your church so that the gates of hell in all this nation won't prevail against it. In Jesus' name. Amén.